Before we get started, this episode of the Food Grower Podcast is sponsored by Natural Grower. Natural Grower's award-winning liquid fertilizer, plant feed, and soil conditioner is made entirely from maize. It's naturally rich in nitrogen, potash, phosphate, and other trace elements that plants and vegetables love. And it's approved by the Soil Association, Vegan Society, and Biodynamic Association. The concentrated natural fertilizer can be poured around the base of plants, whilst the plant feed and soil conditioner can be mixed into the soil or used as a mulch on the surface as a long-term, slow-release fertilizer on all outdoor and indoor plants. Both Jack and I have been using the natural grower products this year and have seen amazing results, and we have a fantastic 15% off the entire natural grower range for you. Simply go to naturalgrower.co.uk and enter foodgrower15 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Direct Plants Limited, and specifically their amazing range of polytunnels. We use these strong and affordable tunnels on both Jack's Patch and Fanfield Farm, and we love them. Direct Plants manufacture the tunnels themselves so that you can buy your polytunnel direct from the manufacturer, and not just any manufacturer, but from growers too, so that they really understand what you need. These traditional high-quality polytunnels are available in a range of sizes to fit your growing needs, and they're manufactured here in the UK in Norfolk. We're delighted to bring you a brilliant 10% off the entire range at directplants.co.uk. Simply head over there and use the code FOODGROWER at checkout. That's FOODGROWER, all one word, no spaces, at directplants.co.uk. Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. And in this special Christmas episode, we wanted to talk to you about our conventional Christmas dinners and bring you some special tips on how to grow the veg that we eat with our roasties. Merry Christmas, Jack, mate. How's your December been, pal? Merry Christmas, Chris. Um, yeah, very good, my friend. Uh, just started to get more into consultation, so preparing other people uh, for growing an abundance for 2022, and it's just having that effect that we can, I can help other people as well as them watching the videos. It'd be nice to have a bit more hands-on approach, help them empower themselves to grow some food. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and then, yeah, just been going around collecting coffee grinds and leaf uh, waste and chucking it all over the compost heap and on beds and kind of shutting down the farm for winter. But then the the mushrooms and microgreens are supercharging now. It's like I'll go in there with a coat on and I'm in there in a T-shirt because it's, it's nice yeah. and warm in there. I always say chuck some sand on the floor and I'm on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just it's just nice that I, I do actually like winter. I mean, um, I think cause summer's quite full on, isn't it for us? Mm. And, um, it's nice time to kind of redirect where you want to go. Um, and yeah, reevaluate stuff as well. How about, how about you? How's your December been so far? Yeah, much of the same really in terms of like the collecting leaves and it's funny, isn't it? You go on Instagram and you see everyone doing all the same as you what you're doing. <laughs> it's like collecting leaves. I've been flipping the compost heaps this week, adding a bit more nitrogen in there to warm them up because everything's cold. Um, closing down beds, flipping them, like restarting, like 
putting comp like I've got some um well one of our sponsors some natural grower putting that down on beds and then covering them over with um tarps to nice. get them going um but I still got bits to go in to be fair and it, I've sort of been a bit lapsed on I've got like four beds of garlic in but I'm like oh, I want to put another two in but it's so mm. warm it's like well, I still could do it you know yeah yeah it's still completely mild I think it's going to start frosting over later next week i've seen at night but you you've got a chance you've definitely got a chance mm. and if you if you stack it with straw um yeah. you're 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 adding that mulch layer but that's potentially protecting it from freezing over mm. um so yeah I, i'd get them in I've, i'm noticing the garlic's doing well now because birds have been chucking them out of the bed i've noticed oh, some no. of them but um the roots are like i mean some of them are like two inches long Amazing. so they're putting the roots down over winter and it's it is kind of cool to see that yeah ours came up super quick i was blown away but i tell you what we um saved our own our own garlic cloves from Same. our own and i think that just they build local strong resilience don't they in your soil um they build resilience to pests they know what they're going into sort of thing so i think they come up quicker they grow stronger i can't wait to be like 10 years down the line with our own strains of garlic and just they're going to be the best and biggest. They're going to be the biggest elephant garlic going, I swear. Nice. nice. So we wanted to do this little special episode. We just started season two. Um, how good was Elliot from Urban Farm It, by the way? Yeah, oh, man, that, that really, really got us going, didn't it? Mm. As we said in the podcast, you kind of zone out because you're thinking of all the stuff you can do <laughs> yeah. with, with, with what he's saying. But for, for honestly, I, I really feel we're complete students we're, we're asking people and we've been we're, we're asking people because we want them on the podcast because so, we want knowledge that they've that they're giving because we're inspired by them and yeah Elliot's telling us about mushroom gardening it's what I loved is that as he said about like a 10 meter squared bit of plot then becomes a 20, 20 meter squared potential of of growing like yeah you do, you're doubling your yield anyway because you're you potentially inoculate the pathways destroying the beds you cannot inoculate them um mm. so two crops in one and uh yeah just really it's got my um I, I seem really aware of it as well and i've just been doing some more plans consultations for people and adding like um like, you know like logs for barriers so instead of having like a raised bed just kind of in the bed nice logs on the side and then let's inoculate them with shiitake mushrooms and see what happens nice um so yeah, it's, it's very inspiring, man. I, I really liked it. How about yourself? Yeah, I loved it. It got me well. I said in there, I, I went silent for a minute, didn't I? I started thinking yeah. and I took action yeah. on it straight away. Like the sweet corn block, we have a block for sweet corn, which is, I'd say like a six metres by 20 metres, quite a big-ish block. Yeah, but last cool. year, the basically, we didn't do anything underneath the sweet corn. Sweet corn grows up. Mm-hmm. um and then weeds took over it but the, i've literally just started cardboarding and wood chipping that so that when we put the sweet corn in we can then inoculate the wood chip with um with either oysters or wine caps as elliot said it'd be really cool to do so yeah. um yeah doubling that bit of space doubling the productivity from it and 
get an extra crop out of it. So yeah, it was an awesome episode. I'm so glad we got it out first. Um, and I'm really grateful to Elliot for doing it because they are doing some serious mushroom kits sent out for Christmas. And it was in his busy lead up to Christmas that we recorded it on it. So um, yeah. yeah, it was grateful and grateful to his team for slugging away in the background, letting us chat and laugh for about two hours on, on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He must, they must've been like, oh, he's got it good. Um, but, but but fair play to him. I've just also a little bit of a big up because I've just seen he's doing like a mushroom foraging and then a bit of a course with it. So yeah, that looks so grow. good. So it's well worth the money. And I, so I, affordable, really affordable. Yeah. For yeah. what's there, I've seen I've seen local courses to here that are six, seven, even eight times that price. So mm. yeah, go and check out Urban Farm it on on Instagram if you want to have a look at that. And it's not just foraging, is it? It's like growing mushrooms and yep. looking at that. It includes lunch. Like, oh, just, yeah. It, it took a lot for me. Yeah. If I didn't have a, a, a waning bank balance at the moment, thanks to Christmas presents, I'd be booking it in straight away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So speaking of Christmas, um, we wanted to talk to you about our Christmas dinners and and yours and I will be a little bit different, I think, because you're vegan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'd take a different approach with Christmas now. It's probably the hardest time of year to, I don't don't know, just I used to eat meat heavy. um, Mm. And then, yeah, now, now there's just different ways of eating it, but still as delicious. Um, I don't really go down the fake meat route, um, but I'll go down the like manipulating mushrooms and and chestnuts and oh they are so underrated chestnuts especially mm. at christmas my god like if you can get some um if you can get them right um it's such a moorish volume like it adds volume it adds like nuttiness um also like a bit of a uh, bit of protein as well and, and and whatever else but yeah really good up well uh i'll tell you <laughs> well, well what is it that you have instead because we're obviously conventionally the country has turkey what is it that it's not really the main part of a meal people always say that about the meat on a plate don't they they're like oh it's the main part of the meal yeah. for me it isn't like a lot yeah. more goes on that's a lot tastier but what is it that replaces like the meat in a roast dinner for you on, on christmas day specifically personally i make a mushroom and chestnut wellington Nice. And it's thick as well, and it and it's uh it's got like stuffing in it and all sorts, and I I love it because it's nice thick thick slab. You're still getting like something like kind of like meat in a way, um. But then yeah, that with the gravy, uh, the veg goes a bit harder and different as well. Like instead of it just being boiled and shoved to the side, um, you yeah. like you can honey glaze it like Brussels sprouts, just level up with a bit of like balsamic, mm. um. Yeah, there's certain ways to do things, and it and it just raises the level. And I think because the meat's not the the main focus, the veggies the main focus. So you you start being really really inventive with it. Uh, I think I, I went from I, I got I stopped eating meat and I couldn't cook, which was honestly such a bad idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> it makes it safer, I, right? If you can't cook and you do eat meat, you're at a risk all the time. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um, but. I, I just got like some cookbooks and found some really good YouTube videos and I started to get really quite handy in the kitchen with it mm. and it, and it really did help. So yeah, there, there's so much information out there. YouTube is absolutely gold for it. Um, Instagram, Pinterest, but there's some really good cookbooks as well. And even if you do eat meat, just look like make the veg, the stars of the plate as well. It doesn't yeah. have like really just level that side of it up. And there's some really good, like just 
how to do like roasted veg in a different way. Um, and it could just be like a tiny bit of like, as you I think you've said like honey or like mm-hmm. you can glaze it in other ways. Um, I think it's yeah. treating it, treating veg as a side dish, like as a dish rather than just this thing you have to eat on the side of the plate. We were talking about it before we came on, weren't we? Like the mm. boiled veg that like I definitely got as a kid and it was like, Oh yeah, you've got to eat your veg. If you make it a side dish where you've yeah created like honey glazed parsnips or yeah, pistachio mm. sprouts or something, it's almost a dish that you would order separately. Like you put two or three on a meal and they, they take over like absolutely take over. Yeah. It's flavour here. I was I was speaking to uh, um, an organic fruit and veg like retailer who's he's got like an amazing shop in Lee, mm. um, and that's where I get like my f- uh, fruit and stuff because he's got like Sicilian lemons. He's got stuff nice. that I, like I wouldn't. You're not going to get in the supermarket. It's just gone. It's kind of come in and it's uh, yeah. It's where you want to be getting your Christmas veg from if you if you're not getting it from guys like us, but. Um, yeah, we were saying like people, we don't have a food culture here as much. Like we don't grow up traditionally eating certain things and we should be demanding like a set flavor. Um, mm. as, you, as we were speaking before, we boil it, push it to the side. And that's why as kids, you're like, oh, don't want to eat veg. I hate veg. <laughs> and, it, and it's like you start getting bribed into eating it. You can't leave the table unless you eat your carrots or whatever but those things can be amazing and we know the taste difference Mm. when it's grown properly um and then you just add that little bit of as you said you glaze it eat properly as well and then it's just like whoa that's that's something to look forward to yeah definitely and and i think you're right that's it's just a bit of a shift in culture isn't it um it's it's a little bit sad that are like two dish you go on holiday and there's like the english restaurant and it's a either a roast dinner and all the veg is just boiled or it's a fried breakfast and everything's mm. fried and it's just like i'm a bit embarrassed about our cultural cuisine so to speak but um yeah there's a lot yeah. more ways of doing it and i think i think you're right i i always like will order a vegan option from restaurants to like if you want to take the measure of a restaurant order the vegan food because you'll really work out if they can make flavors work and if they can cook yeah um unless it's just yeah Yeah. meat substitute that they're just trying to throw out and then definitely don't order it but um things have changed big time haven't they yeah definitely it's more like plant-based whole foods eating that's what i like try and promote with it not Mm. too not not as keen with the label of uh vegan so much anymore just because of the whole fake meat stuff like i think it i think it's going we're catering to um eating bad anyway and then oh Mm. this is eating bad as well but it's just not meat um i kind of get it but i think the big big push we should all be striving for and especially in times like we're living we should be looking at immune boosting eating whole foods fresh foods and and another conversation I had just to add is like when I was in Costa Rica, um, a guy couldn't believe I was from England. And he was like, my God, the land of the carrots. And <laughs> he, he, cause for them, they can't grow it. So it's expensive and they juice them and whatever. But for us that just clicked in my brain is like, we have stuff here that's like nutritious for us. Like red cabbage is super cheap, super nutritious. We don't need to eat mangoes and papaya. We have superfood here that we're growing. Um, and it's just harnessing that. Um, so I, I always believe that we have got everything we need here as well. 
And within the seasons as well, isn't it? Like with, mm. the seasons provide what we need at the time. And we've been talking about this a lot because sometimes people can get tired of, you know, you've got more root veg or more cabbage in the winter, but it's like, yeah, but it's cold. Our bodies need those hearty veggies, vegetables. They provide what we need at the time. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a really, well, we could do a whole podcast on it. So I'm going to switch will. it up. Um, <laughs> But one, one I've seen, and I'm definitely giving it a go this year, um, it's like a vegan or, or plant-based festive meal, was um, a butternut squash. And they'd halved it and roasted it and then sort of carved it up and then start, like stuffed it with the butternut squash with like pistachios, cranberries, poi lentils, red onion, red wine and and herbs. Obviously it just looked so, so good. Sounds so good. Yeah. (laughs) I was looking at the recipe, just like my mouth was watering. Um, Have you grown butternut squash before or this year or? Um, I've not grown it this year. I didn't really have room for squash just Mm. on the compost heap. um, Some monstrous pumpkins just went (laughs) out of control, which uh, I was all for because it kind of, it looked really cool. And you're growing an extra crop in something that doesn't get touched during the summer months. But um, yeah, butternut squash, um, I have grown it before and they didn't exactly grow to size. And I always think like smaller stuff anyway has more flavor, even if it doesn't look ideal. It's the concentration of the flavor is going to be there instead of the water retention when it gets bigger. So they were they were really good. Um, But uh in future, I would absolutely love, I love squash. So I think it is nice to dedicate areas to squash production. Mm. And what I, what I do love is that if there is like um, like a manure pile or there's like um, a big area that you could put down some like um, weed plast- uh, like weed membrane. Yeah. And that, that area goes from, oh, I haven't got time to, to cultivate that area, but you could just get something done really easy and just – dig in a hole, put your plant there and it will take over and you're, you're making some production at least. And I think it's one of those forget about crops that come autumn. You're, you're going to be like, what a result that was because then you're getting a lot of volume of food, higher, higher nutritional density and it stores well. Um, So I think it's like an apocalyptic food in my eyes. It's like one of those things you've got for a year and and it's always, and if anything, it doesn't really lose that much flavor. It's, you're storing it and you've got it. And I think mm. that's nice. It's nice to have. Yeah, we did that this year, just a block we weren't ready to open up yet. Like we've only been here two years. So we just pulled a tarp over it, put holes in the tarp, squash straight in, and it's provided us. We're on the fifth week now of being able to put squash into our veg boxes. And that was oh, literally incredible. plant it and forget it. Like I'd even yeah. like underneath the tarp, I'd run drip tape next to under all well the um, squash plants. Like, oh, that let me water it. Didn't ever connect it up. Just didn't need oh, to. The squash didn't amazing. need watering. I know we had a sort of a wet summer, but um, they just took care of themselves. And so, yeah, planted them in a few months later. They're there and they've, they've stored nicely and kept going. So That's a perfect example then, isn't it? Brilliant. Yeah, a set and forget squat, uh, crop. But we didn't do butternut squash, but someone who did, uh, Freddie Borland on Instagram, has sent us an amazing clip of her top tips on growing butternut squash. Check this out. Thank you so much for including me in the podcast. So for growing butternut squashes, for me, I think this year it was a stroke of luck. Looking back now, I know exactly why, or I think I know exactly why. Um, But for number one, I'd say is the soil health. And like most vegetables, you know, soil health is key. And where I planted my butternut squash and actually one variety of pumpkin, which was by accident, (laughs) in that bed in the 
uh, earlier part of the year, I actually had some peas in there. And at the time of planting the butternut squashes, it also had sweet peas, lots of sweet peas in there, as well as uh, Swiss chard and marigolds. And I think the sweet peas had done just a beautiful, beautiful job and the peas early on in the year of adding lots of nitrogen into the soil. And just before planting my butternut squashes, the soil was super light and fluffy. It was just beautiful. Compared to another bed that I'd had where I'd put some pumpkins actually, and uh, early on in the year had actually had some onions and garlics and I think at some points potatoes, and I hadn't fed the soil, and those poor little pumpkins just took months and months to actually do anything, bless them. So yes, I think soil health is number one for butternut squash and another vegetable, basically. And I'd say two, uh, so tip number two for me is uh, staking when you plant your butternut squashes and any trailing plants, really. Staking where you have planted them so that when you um, water the bed, you know exactly where the root of the plant is so that you're watering and getting that water direct to the root rather than just trying to water the whole bed and hoping that you've you've got water to the root somewhere. <laughs> so I'd say that's tip number two. And tip number three for me is really working with nature, which is something I really want to focus on doing more of going forwards rather than working against nature. I remember there was one little uh, butternut uh, squash trying to grow and it was under quite a lot of foliage from the plant and I thought oh, it's not going to get any sun whatsoever. It's going to need a bit of sun. So I cut back a couple of leaves and then it shriveled up and died. And I think it just got way too much sun bless it so i think working with nature and just letting her do the her thing giving her giving her the tools that she needs and then just letting her do her job um which is what i did with the rest of them and they turned out really really well so yes i'd say for me the the last and final tip would be working with nature i hope this is helpful Great tips there. Thanks to Freddie for recording that. You can follow her brilliant allotment journey over on Instagram. Go search for at Freddie Borland. And I know she's just taken on another allotment plot. So get over there yes. and have a look. Yeah, brilliant. I, I've, she's uh, We've booked in a consultation as well awesome. uh, with Freddie. Yeah, I can't. I'm so excited for her. Like she's got even inherited a polytunnel nice. on one of the patches and loads of fruit canes and whatever but yeah it's just a huge huge allotment plot as well love it absolutely love it and and she shares her journey so well like i'm surprised she's a mum as well i don't know how she finds the time mm. to to make all the content she does so yeah definitely worth checking her instagram out so let's talk potatoes mate everyone has roast potatoes right <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> you got any special ways of cooking them up yeah, like I think it's fairly standard, but it works a treat every time. So I'm a big fan of the roasties and I think I've cracked it. I've been doing them like the last couple of weeks to like train myself ready to help out at Christmas. But um, you've got to pick good potatoes, but then like parboiling them. And the, the trick is getting them out, getting them in the colander and like shaking them up in the colander. So they get nice. all the edges all like bits hanging off the edges because then as soon as you get that in the oil that is the bit that's going to crisp up so you get that nice Ooh. crispy edges to it but then the big thing is for me is like <laughs> like my mum told me to put garlic in with them so she put mm. four cloves in just cut them in half don't have to peel them just chuck them in with that oil mm. realistically I'm putting eight in there because I'm a big nice. fan of garlic and then nice. just straight out in the garden rosemary cutting off the plant because it's still doing all right at this time of year at christmas yeah, bang that straight in the oil and then the roasties in after you've heated the oil up with those in and oh 
I think it's just so good. Like it's gone from like when I was a kid having to coat roasties and gravy just so that they weren't like these dry potatoes. But now I don't even want gravy on them. You get those herbs right and they just taste gorgeous. What about you? You're, you're a fan of them on the old roast dinner? Yeah, they do. Um, they do level it up the herbs, don't they? Um, yeah. Yeah. Roast potatoes are such like one of my favourites, even if we have a roast dinner um, at home, there's always a bowl of roast potatoes that kind of gets set aside for later on. If you're a bit peckish, <laughs> put some salt on or like tomorrow um, just to, to the next day to have some. But um, yeah, for, for me, they're one of the highlights. Um, potatoes. I think we've said this before, like if there was like three, there's like a couple of veg that you get left on an Island with potatoes has got to be one of them. It's just, uh, yeah, they're, they're a, they're a great crop. Um, it's a shame we don't um, have them growing on a, in a market garden as much. Mm. Um, but it's something, it's more of a personal use, isn't it? Cause I don't think we can make as much money yeah. growing them, but oh, they just, they are a winner. They are just an epic, epic. I think everyone loves them. You you find a lot of you don't find a lot of people that prefer new potatoes over roast. If you do, I'm, I'm not with <laughs> oh. you. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that about having a bowl of them to the side. I went to a Christmas party when I worked in corporate years ago. One of my closest friends now, Max. Um, she <laughs> we'd obviously Christmas party had the roast dinner, loads of drinks, we're drinking loads, and then we're at the bar later. And she was like, "Do you want a potato?" I was like what do you mean? Do you want a potato? <laughs> like you're at a Christmas <laughs> party. She hadn't eaten all her roast potatoes. Just put them in her pocket. What? And I tell you what, it is the best snack when you've been drinking for a few hours in the world. I bet. Just that's a roasty, a- like <laughs> the I end of a Christmas party. Soaking up all that alcohol. I bet you don't get much of a hangover the next day. That's all right, mm, isn't it? Hey, takeaway shops need to get on that, don't they? I'll have yeah. the roasties with gravy, please, rather than Ooh. the chips and cheese. Ooh. Yeah, we're the same, mate. We don't really grow much on the farm. Um, we did a few the first year and and they were really nice, but you just can't make, when when this is like a, a profit thing for us, yeah. it's, it's hard to make the money work. Um, and yeah. we devalu- I think we devalue potatoes as a nation way too much. The supermarkets yeah. are driven the price down. But the ones we do grow are always a beaut. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're special, aren't they? You can definitely taste, oh, I nearly said a, a slogan and taste the difference, but <laughs> you, you've been conditioned, you, bro. Oh, no, I oh, know it's, it's, in, it's in my head, but um, yeah, de- definitely they are in my bracket of if you grow them, you will have like an elite, like de- de- it's almost like you don't want to buy a normal potato mm. or like and that normal crop of that. So like, obviously tomatoes taste a lot better and I find it hard to buy it tomatoes ever or eat tomatoes outside of what i grow um but yeah potatoes really do level it up if you get a good one um but what like there is alternative ways of growing them um as well which um it doesn't if we like don't have room in beds um have you ever grown them in containers or even like old compost bags i've i've heard that that works really well and i'm i'm even looking at it myself maybe just in spots around the farm just to have potentially extra ones yeah and and especially this time of the year i'm feeling that you could have them in some containers shift them into the old polytunnel or greenhouse and then literally be digging them out the bag on christmas day ready to roast up like that would just be an amazing feeling so there's a huge benefit to it and well that lines us up nicely really because we've got a brilliant tip from our good friend alessandro who you might know from instagram 
a spicy moustache. I've been growing potatoes in containers for about four or five years in my urban garden here in London. It's a great method, highly productive. However, like any other thing, you need to follow some steps in order to get it right. So first of all, choosing your container is really important. Over the years, by trial and error, I found that fabric pots works much better than any other thing, just because they are breathable and they will guarantee like an overall better quality of the roots and the green shots coming out of the tubers. When it comes to planting, in preparation to planting, you need to cheat your potatoes. Usually I get like an egg box and I place all my potatoes upwards with the eyes exposed and they will slowly sprout. But you can also skip this part. It will just take a bit longer to uh, sprout your potatoes. When it comes to planting, I usually start from the middle of the container so it gets easier to place them uh, all around and I keep 15 centimeters between each tuber and also 15 centimeter between the side of the container and the tubers. However, I tried even other methods, planting them much closer to each other and it still worked. But that's something that you need to experiment and try on your own because it's not the recommended way of doing it. Um, when they sprout out of the soil, what I do, it's a process called earthing. So the more the plant grows, the more I remove the bottom leaves and I add more soil around the base. This will protect the tubers. And I also add a thick layer of mulch, which will retain the moisture and protect, maintain the overall temperature of the container. When it comes to harvesting, it takes between 14 to 22 weeks, depending if you chose um, first early or second early or main crop variety. And all I do is to, first of all, remove all the green shots, but I don't chuck them away. You can add them to your compost as they're still full of nutrients, which is good to recycle and transform into something valuable for your garden. And you can now empty the whole container on a flat surface or into another container and take all your potatoes. Make sure to grab every single potato, even if they are really small, because if not, they will grow into another plant uh, the next season. You can then reuse the soil and grow another plant with the same soil. A massive thanks to Alessandro for those amazing tips on growing potatoes in containers. Definitely something I'm going to do this year. If you want to see more of Alessandro's amazing tips, you can head over to Instagram underscore spicy moustache underscore. So we've said, look, veg isn't a side dish. It is a big thing, especially on Christmas dinner. So we've got to talk about the veg on the plate. And I think the first one everyone has, right, is carrots. Do you have carrots at Christmas, right? 100%. Yep. Uh, carrots again organic to non-organic huge difference uh, mm. if you get that sweetness right and what we mentioned earlier about glazing like parsnips or or any other veg or like for me roasted veg if you glaze it right oh, it's, it's absolutely epic so um yeah carrots are a bit of a must as much as didn't have too much luck growing as many this year they mm. are they are a winning crop for me in my eyes um that sweet carrot tastes raw but on a roast dinner 
Yeah, they're, they're again one of the stars of the plate. How about yeah, you? Definitely, and I, and I think I'm going to be bringing some of them. Um, we've been uh, we've well, we tried to grow some this year. It's been a tough year, but the ones that we've been bringing in are really high quality organic um, rainbow carrots. And I think I'm looking forward to taking them to the Christmas dinner this year because it it adds another like element of colour. I think a roast dinner can quickly become greens and browns, especially at this time of year. And then the oranges sort of melt into the browns when they're covered in gravy. But to take the orange and the yellow and the purple, especially mm. onto that plate, it's going to look really good. So I'm excited to take those with me. I've been well into the purple carrots this year. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it is about that, isn't it? Just adding that different colour, different flavour profile. Anything purple and orange has like really higher antioxidant profile as well. Mm. So it's always good to mix and match. Um, but we have another previous guest to give you his best tips for growing carrots. And that's the brilliant Lawrence from Soul Farm. It's uh, market day. It's seven in the morning, just driving down. And I'm talking about um, growing carrots. We... Uh, use the no dig strategy which is a very important part of growing growing carrots for us um, it means that we have weed free beds and so um, that's the first um, start to find a way to have weed free there is other ways that you can do that too such as um, tarping beforehand or um, some people flame weed um, we sow our carrots um, directly into the ground. Um, everybody should do that. You can't transplant them. We use a variety called Nantes. It's an absolutely amazing variety, which I fully recommend. Um, you can get them from Tamar Seeds. We grow them uh, six rows on our um, uh, 75 centimeter beds. And we sow them with the Jang Cedar. I can't remember the uh, exact settings that we use um, off the top of my head, um, but get in touch with Soul Farm and, and I, can, uh, I can tell you a bit more about that. And we make sure to water really regularly every day. We have um, some irrigation, which we set up on the carrot beds bespokely. They are little low um, irrigation um, sprinklers and those are set up on timers and they go off every day. You have to keep it really, really, really moist for a good carrot germination. The next point is that you need to keep the carrots netted um, to stop carrot root fly. We had a couple of beds this year which we didn't net and it was a total disaster and we, we, we lost them all. Um, uh, just don't make very nice carrots at all. Um, we pick them when they're young and small, uh, bunch them and when the tops are looking lovely and that's it on carrots so there are definitely some tips i'll be taking forward for growing carrots next year as i say this season's held a struggle this year so thanks for those tips lawrence check out soul farm on instagram at soul.farm so what's your favorite vegetable on the christmas plate <laughs> well we have some weird ones at christmas right so we have um heated up sweet corn it's just such a weird one, but the sweetness, I guess, adds to it. But I think my favourite is the most controversial of all vegetables. It's sprouts. A lot of people hate them. I adore them. 
um, absolutely love sprouts. And my mum does a little dish with them. She cooks them up normal, um, but then fries them in with some sp- pistachios and bacon pieces. And they come up amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, they can't like really suck up. Sprouts suck up flavour. So it baffles me when we just boil them, stick them on a plate. And then people are like, well, I'm not surprised you don't like them. But are you a fan of sprouts? Yeah, yeah. I love sprouts, actually. And, and it is, again, um, uh, treating it different like like again you boil them they, they go gassy and then you start mm. you put you're pumping all christmas yeah. but the, the best the best thing is is to you know we're talking about glazing but glazing in balsamic honestly mm. it is insane um it's to the point where i've even done it on toast uh, like sourdough and you you put so nice. so i've done it um last christmas in my christmas veg boxes i did have quite a lot of brussels and oyster mushrooms and mm. I got sent an incredible oyster mushroom and Brussels sprout, like that like you fry them and then you put them on sourdough toast with balsamic glaze. It was incredible. And it's really hard to imagine that, um, but they do like go soft and it, it's just, it was really good. But then again, when I'm talking about balsamic glaze, um, again, I think it is with nuts and with cranberries. Um, I think cranberries or pomegranates. I can't remember, but there's um. I'm pretty nice. sure we'll put in the show notes some recipes as well. Yeah. Um, so it'll be down there for sure. And uh, really, really good. And it and you can have that as a side dish and mm. it really elevates your, your dinner. Again, you're just getting some more flavours and it is presenting that in a new way. Of it, Sprout said, uh, "Yeah, a staple, and uh, it, it's a shame that they've got such a bad rep because, um, yeah, if you cook them in that way, they're delicious." And we have another great clip on growing them from Jack's Veg. Hi, everyone. My name's Jack, and I run a market garden in Canterbury in Kent. Chris and Jack from the Food Grower Podcast have asked me to give some top tips on how to grow some fantastic Brussels sprouts. So Brussels sprouts have had a bit of a bad rep in the last, well, probably about 25, 30 years ago now. Um, There used to be this uh, overcooked or very easily overcooked vegetable, you know, the colour used to drain from them and used to get like a quite a bit of bitter taste from them. Um, I'd say the varieties I've tasted recently, over well, the last 10 years or so, uh, they're a lot better. Um, they cook better. Um, I presume they perform better as well, growing-wise. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's definitely a crop that is well worth investigating and well worth growing. And um, it's not as hard to get right as people think. So the one that I have, or the variety that I have uh, most experience with growing is a variety called Rubine, um, and it's a red variety, and it produces these slightly smaller sprouts, and uh, it's it's a better flavour, in my opinion, than the green varieties I have grown in the past. First top tip is give your Brussels sprouts time. Now, the best time I've found to sow them is, is actually late March, early April. Um, I've not played with successional sowings because I've only ever grown one variety and that variety has given me a a large amount of sprouts. Uh, The reason for that is that most people can tolerate sprouts early December, but come sort of like beginning of February, beginning of uh, maybe second week of February, something like that, uh, my customers too tend to get a bit tired of them. So I don't, I'm not looking for a variety that can go, you know, over a long period of time. Second benefit of sprouts, which is sometimes I'd say overlooked, is the sprout top. Um, it's a perfect substitute for kale when things are really, really poor, you know, growing light conditions, things are very poor. Um, so it really is a, uh, a good crop that you can get some, you know, a, a secondary harvest from. 
uh, once you've stripped the stalks. One thing that I've made mistakes with in the past that is definitely worth mentioning for uh, some sort of newer growers out there is that do take into consideration your transplant time. So if you do sell them in early March, do take into account that obviously there's not much light at that time of year or the light is increasing, but it's, you know, unpredictable. Um, and the transplant time is really important. So sow them, you know, uh, middle of March, beginning of March, um, and do allow a good seven to eight weeks uh, transplanting time before they actually go in the ground. So what I mean by that is from seed to module, and it's the length of time that they're in the module for in your propagation tunnel. I have done sowings a bit later than that. Uh, I can't remember the dates, but it was it was definitely towards the end of April, beginning of May. They did produce uh, good sprouts, but I found that the the more mature the plant is and the more time the plant has to mature, the better the sprouts, the stronger the plants are, um, and the more even as well the sprouts are. You don't have the plant rushing, if you will, for uh, rushing to produce it has plenty of time to do what it needs to do and mature um, and grow into itself instead of producing a lot in a very short period of time that's where you'll get smaller sprouts um, and sometimes they don't go as hard either so this is a big one the biggest tip is planting spacing or plant spacing so with sprouts um, depending on your setup I imagine if most people have got a three-foot bed set up um, or uh, 70, was it three centimeter, something like that, 30 inch. Um, what you'll have is um, you, you, you can get a good three rows in there. If you try and squeeze a fourth row in there, you'll find that the plants will sort of choke themselves out. They're obviously being brassica, they're very uh, heavy uh, on the feed. They do like a lot of food and it is good to get um, some winter manure and stuff dumped on the ground autumn time. If you haven't got obviously manure, obviously compost is just as good as well. And yeah, give them a, a real good feed, a good couple of inches on top, let that break down. Um, by all means, put a tarp or something over your bed as well to help that process um, to make sure the bed is ready uh, in in that you know within the six or seven weeks after your sowing module time, um, so they have the best start available. So a plant spacing of three to one bed is is ample, and width wise between each plant. So that's from uh, the plant to plant, not the width. Um, but I've Generally, I go for either 20 or 25 centimetres. Um, you can go for a foot, but I find that uh, early on in the year, it's the wind can obviously being March and April and stuff and things be uh, unpredictable, should we say, um, that they can get uh, heavy snowfalls and things on your uh, row covers and that can cause some problems. Um, so generally I find 20 to 25 centimetres is a really good spacing for them. And what that does is that they, you know, they, as Charles Downing says, they like their friends. Um, so they, they grow in clumps. Um, and if you've got, uh, not clumps, sorry, in blocks, sort of similar to sweet corn, um, when there's a big block of them, you'll get, you know, a really good even, a uh, lot of sprouts throughout the whole bed. Um, but wider spacings can cause problems. The plants can get damaged early on in the season. Um, and obviously that time of year, the wood pigeon is, uh, they're always a problem, obviously, but they're particularly hungry that time of year um, as all the blossom and things start to come out. Um, so they will take risks and, you know, <laughs> even try and get under your, your fleeces. Around sort of like middle of June time, you'll find that the, 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 the shoots will really start to get up there and the leaves will touch. And that's obviously a really important point because it shades the ground underneath. 
um, and it gives you, you know, a really good, uh, keeps the bed nice and clean, um, some light cultivation and what have you through the season as well is obviously necessary. They cannot dry out. It's very important they don't dry out. So you've got a very obviously hungry plant for food. Um, and you also got, I would say it's a very thirsty plant, but the moister the ground, the better. Um, not too much because obviously then open up yourself to problems for things like club club root and um, uh, and what have you. Keeping flea beetles at bay is very tricky. Um, there's always going to be losses. If you can get yourself some fancy mesh or something like that, obviously that will reduce it. Um, little tip on harvesting them. Um, you want to strip the, the stalks from the bottom upwards. You don't want to pick... Uh, the sprouts up the, the further up the stem um, before you've picked the bottom ones. And the way you do that is you literally just snap them off. It's very hard to explain over a podcast, obviously, but there's a little sort of a light twist and a snap backwards, and they should come off nice and clean um, without causing too much damage to the stem, but also, you know, without ending up with half a sprout in your hand as you harvest them. Very similar to, like, to kale. You, you know, it's not cut and come again as such, but they you can strip them from the, the bottom up um, so you get obviously up to the crown. I do keep my uh, fleeces on my mine and right up until uh, they're tall enough uh, that pigeons can't get the tops. I find the pigeons are more interested in, in the sprout tops than they are the actual um, the sprouts themselves. Not saying that you, you do get them, and obviously the pheasants are also an issue, and rats, believe it or not. Um, it's uh, yeah, everything likes brassicas, doesn't it? So yeah, have fun, have a safe 2022 and um, see you on the other side. Thanks for those great tips, Jack. A uh, different Jack. Not That's not just a buy company you <laughs> serve. Uh, Jack's Veg on Instagram, if you want to check them out. They do some amazing things and they do crack those, those sprouts fantastically. Um, what's your favourite part of the dinner, Jack? Oh, it probably is. It probably is potatoes. Mm. Um yeah, that's a bit of a random one. Yeah, but I, I do actually love having stuff in. Um, yeah. And and you know what? I know this is going to be the next veg, and it really is one of my favourite parts, and that is parsnips. Mm. Um, Unsung just parsnips, hero. Mate. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, we keep speaking about glazing stuff. And, <laughs> or, uh, honestly, glazing parsnips, like they, when they're organic, they're so sweet. Like to... If you buy organic parsnips, the smell of a bag of organic parsnips is incredible in itself. So you roast them to bring the flavour out even better. Um, so yeah, that that would be that. That's one of my highlights. How about yourself? Yeah, I think parsnips are an unsung hero, and the fact that even growing them, if you can crack it, it's like cracking carrots. In it, if you can crack it, then parsnips can sit in the ground, and the more frost they get, the the, the sweeter they get. Yeah. just yeah they're absolutely amazing and and i think the key is just getting them at the right size like the big ones are still tasty but if you get them at that sort of perfect it what you have in your brain for a parsnip size straight yeah. in half roast them drizzle them in i've been drizzling them in a bit of flour and a bit of honey um and, and they've been gorgeous but uh yeah i haven't cracked it this year so they're one on the list for next year but someone who has john from clover cottage market garden here's his tips on growing parsnips hey it's John here from Clover Cottage Market Garden and I'm going to share with you my top tips for growing parsnips. For me, the most important part of growing parsnips is making the right start. So my first top tip would be to make sure you use a fresh packet of seeds or ideally one that is no more than a year old. 
This is because parsnip seeds have a short shelf life, so you're unlikely to get much crop from an old packet of seed. My other top tip for a good start is to resist the urge to sow too soon. Parsnips can be tricky to germinate if conditions aren't right, so here in the east of England, I wait until the end of March or April before I sow my seed. By this time, the soil is warm enough to aid in good germination. Lastly, if you've managed to grow some good-sized parsnips, then my final tip would be to leave some or all of them in the ground until exposed to frost. That's because this process converts the starch within the roots into sugars, thereby giving them a far sweeter flavour, which will make them a perfect addition to your Christmas dinner. If you want to see more of what John is up to and got going on, you can follow his journey at John underscore Clover Cottage Market Garden. So here's a curveball, right? Do you have anything that's a bit strange on your Christmas dinner or any sort of Christmas dinner traditions that are a bit weird? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, in terms of food... Um, oh, right. This is really interesting. Um, I've got family uh, from the Caribbean and mm. we've had um, like we've had like yams on Christmas dinner. We've nice. had sweet potatoes on Christmas dinner. Um, we've had some like really, really cool stuff. So like it uh, that was like my introduction into other veg at an early age mm. um, that, that wasn't as much uh, conventional, but that was really cool. They're just adding a bit more different, uh, different style to Christmas dinner. Um, oh, I think what I've mentioned about like doing Brussels sprouts glaze, that's been different in terms of, and, and the, the mushroom chestnut Wellington is yeah. a bit different, but I've also spent Christmas in Australia where it was, uh, this was like when I used to eat meat and stuff and it was very pre-dinner. You eat a ton of seafood. So like crab, uh, mm. lobster, um, and it seems to be really focused on that. And then you've got to think that a lot of the veg as well was like more summer veg because it's the summer. So it was like really, really fresh. Um, so yeah, carrots and stuff like that. Like it, it just did taste different and it, and it's kind of copied off the English model, but then they've got their own twist on it. Um, they're quite big on beetroot as well. They put beetroot nice. in burgers. Nice. Um, yes, yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's cool. It's different, but it completely works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I've always had different styles of dinner. Um, and then I try and introduce it all the time and I, I cook a lot more as well. Um, because I've got to try and if I cook a whole Wellington, the other guys have got to eat it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's got to be good. I've always had yeah. a question about Christmas in Australia. What do they put yeah. on the Christmas cards? Cause all our Christmas cards are like snow and robins and shit like that. Mate, is it? It's the same. All right, but that yeah, must be so weird because it's it is. Yeah, what scenes from England. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So oh, it was like 40 degrees and, you know, like that spray where you they spray in shops to make it look like snow sitting in the window. <laughs> yeah. They do that. <laughs> it's going to be completely unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's funny. It is different. It, you're, you're spending the morning at the beach surfing with a Christmas hat on. It is very different, but it's, uh, it's, it's good to see. It is good. It's, it's different, good but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't mind experience. it being warm. I wouldn't mind it being warm at all. Yeah, I've, I have a really weird one for the plate at Christmas. Um, and I, I mean, you've put me to shame because all yours were like nice food and healthy, but this came from my mum's mum 
And she used to just put ready salted crisps on the table at the same time as Christmas dinner. <laughs> and I don't know if okay. you've ever had like a vegetable that you don't like, but I tell you what, crumble some ready salted crisps over it, put a bit of gravy, gravy on. Like if there's a cabbage you don't like or something hasn't been okay. braised, it hasn't been glazed. It's just boiled <laughs> or whatever. Mate, it transforms. And I've also <laughs> never tried crisps dipped in gravy before, but yeah, Christmas dinner with some ready salted crisps Mate, I don't know. It's a family tradition, but it works. Sounds like the film Elf, where he puts yeah. like <laughs> maple, maple syrup. syrup and like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, at Christmas, you do have those random chairs, don't you? So I feel like I get the little chair and I look like Elf on one of those uh, <laughs> little, little Elf chairs. Love it. So a veg we haven't covered, but he's on a lot of uh, Christmas di- roast dinners, is Swede. Do you have Swede? I was, do you know what? It's one I've never been really a fan of um, because, I mean, when we grew up, it was just like boiled and then mashed in with carrots. And I just didn't like it. That mix of flavours, that thing of like just changing the texture. But as I've got older, I've got sort of different ways of cooking it and, and I like it a lot more. But um, it's, it's still not a favourite. What about you? Are you a fan of Swede? No, I don't. I honestly don't think I've ever ate it. Um, it's just not as common to see here. And I think it's demographic around the UK. So you go to some places and they, they have chard day in, day out. Mm. Swede would be more of like a, a crop that gets seen um, more. Like, I mean, there's even people I know that never see Brussels sprouts on the stalk. I know like you get that more and more now, but it, it's just um, education around food, isn't it? Like, beetroot some people don't know what they look like in the raw form with the leaves on or candy beet golden beet sweet's a funny one as well because it just doesn't exist in some places like i think if you go to i think it's scotland they call a swede a turnip so a swede in scotland is actually called a turnip and then i don't know what they call turnips i don't think they have turnips in scotland um and so yeah i don't think it spreads very far i think it's uh, maybe it's just a southern southern thing i know that they're around but and then in america there's something called completely different aren't they um they're not called sweet at all rutabaga that- yeah rutabaga um rutabaga i always but, wonder what that was yeah yeah i think it's a sweet so yeah it doesn't well it's all right i mean it's not hard it doesn't i don't think it seems like too difficult of veg to grow or i managed it and i hadn't grown it before this year um but it does it is a bit fussy with some things so um yeah, I think it needs some attention. Well, we have a great clip on growing Swede from another brilliant previous guest and friend of ours, Mitch from Mitch Grows on Instagram. Season's greetings, food grower family. Here's Mitch's top tips for growing Swede. Firstly, Swedes are thirsty, so make sure you give them plenty to drink. Watch out for caterpillars. There's several species of butterfly and moth who will lay eggs on your Swede's leafy green foliage. Leave your Swedes in the ground until there's been a good frost or two. That way, they will taste much sweeter. Have a good Christmas, guys. Peace. Nice one. Thanks for that. And Merry Christmas, Mitch. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the meal, but without some flavour to it, as we've said, it would all just be boiled veg soaked in gravy. So, um, And, and the flavour with roasties and, and that, it has to be the flavour you have is, is brought to it by herbs a lot of the time. Yes, definitely, mate. What what what's like your favourite herbs that come in uh, for Christmas dinner? Uh, like you have mentioned, you have mentioned rosemary with your 
potatoes. Yeah, I think uh, that's a huge one, Rosemary. It is, and it is very. It, it just it carries on throughout winter, um, and it's a bit of a bulletproof plant, I believe. Mm. Um, but again, again, it's just it's that extra that they level it up. Uh, herbs level most most dishes up if if used right. Um, so. Especially when they're fresh. If you can just go outside, cut them and go straight back into cooking them, it feels like an experience, doesn't it? As much as it does amazing food. Yeah. Smell your hands as well. It's always yeah. one of my favourite parts of growing food is going in the garden, getting those smells, the aromas going. Yeah, it's really cool. But we've asked a brilliant Andrew from Urban Herbs to give us some of the tips on the herbs that go great with your Christmas dinner. Herbs such as rosemary, sage and thyme are fantastic on the Christmas dinner and they're really really easy to grow through the British winter as well. They're really hardy, they don't mind the cold but the number one thing that I always advise when growing these beautiful herbs is just to make sure they're in nice free draining soil. So that means if you're growing in heavy clay soil you might have a few issues. Now you can try to improve the soil by working a bit of gritty and helping to improve the drainage but I think those are really good options to grow in containers. And you have to walk further uh, from the back door to when you harvest them too. Rosemary, thyme and sage, they're absolutely beautiful on Christmas dinner and we wouldn't be without them. Thanks to Andrew. You can check out their awesome Instagram at urban underscore herbs underscore plus a little secret for anyone who's listened this far into the episode you may hear andrew again in this series of the podcast there's a little secret for you there (laughs) so that's it for christmas dinner episode thanks so much for listening everyone uh it just leaves us to say merry christmas and happy holidays to you all we hope that you have a great time Merry Christmas. Just a quick note to say next week there won't be an episode, so we're taking a little break for the festive period, but we will be back the first week of 2022. Happy New Year. See you then.